Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. Analytics are like a lamppost to a drunk. Useful for support, but not necessarily for illumination. For some of these guys that, you know, <laughs> basically are pigeons and sit at a desk and hide behind a computer, they can say what they want about me all day long because they have never done any of the things that I've done and I've lived my dream. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. All right, welcome to TSN Hockey Analytics here on TSN 1050 and across the TSN radio network. I'm Andy McNamara. You can get us on Twitter at TSN Analytics, myself at AndyMC81. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Big show for you today, folks. We're going to get an in-depth look at the Rochester Institute of Technology, the Hockey Analytics Conference that was last week, the R-I-T-H-A-C. So a guy who was there, a good friend of the show, We've had this is season four, we've had him on I think every year, Micah Blake McCurdy from HockeyViz.com will stop by in about, uh, about half an hour time. Then in 40 minutes, Scott Cullen from TSN.ca. He was also there, so we'll get the heroes and zeros, as well as his take from the conference, what's new, what's interesting, what's developing in the analytics world. So that's uh, coming up there later in the show. And in about 10 minutes' time, 12 or 10 or 12, Gus Katsaros, McKean's Hockey Director of Analytics and Pro Scouting, as well as writer for Roto World and Maple Leafs Hot Stove, will be by to uh, well get us ready. We're, we're, what, a month in already? Man. A month already into the NHL season. So Travis Yost from TSN.ca will be on the line to lead off the show, as he always says, in just a couple of minutes. But we look at the the week that was in the NHL and look at some of the, the trends. So you have the Tampa Bay Lightning. This is as of Saturday. Tampa Bay Lightning have won four straight. You have losers of six in a row. The Detroit Red Wings is, you know what, not as bad as a start as I guess I expected for the Red Wings because... Well, they were really supposed to just be completely bottoming out. And it still might go that way, right? But 4-6-1, and one, they're in the bottom tier, but kind of middling in that Atlantic division. And you have the poor Habs. Oh, the Montreal. Now, listen, being all things being square, grew up a Maple Leafs fan. I don't have a lot of heartache for, for the Montreal Canadiens suffering, but you have Carey Price. when you have. It's like in football. When you have an elite quarterback, you don't want to waste him. In hockey, when you have an elite goaltender, you don't want to waste it, and it seems like the Canadians are wasting him. Let's get to our first guest, as he always is, to lead off the show, Travis Yost from TSN.ca. Travis, how's it going, man? I'm doing good. How are you doing today, Andy? Doing good, brother. So, uh, as we talked about last week, we're starting to ease into the the month of the se- the fourth week of the season. And you recently wrote about the cautionary tool of shooting percentages on TSM.ca. And we know typically each year some teams start off really high. This season, Ottawa, New Jersey, and Vegas. Other clubs have struggled. Edmonton and Montreal, for example. So. Historically, how much do the top teams regress as we get into the second month of the season and beyond that? Yeah, the cautionary tale here is like, look right out of the gate. You've got a Montreal team and Edmonton team that are shooting under 4% at 5-on-5, and you have a New Jersey and Vegas team that are shooting double digits, 11-12%. It's really interesting. If you go back and look at the 10 best shooting percentage teams in the first month of the season and the 10 worst shooting percentage teams in the first month of the season, the next 70 games – are indiscernible from one another, from the best shooting team to the worst shooting team. So, really? so all of these teams, regardless of the start, 
will move back towards around 8% shooting. And, and the whole point is not to rain on parades. The whole point is, like, last night was a great example. And the Vegas shot, I think, close to – I think they shot an NBA field goal percentage against Colorado. <laughs> last night. It was like, a, I would say, high 20s, low 30s. And, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an awesome – wave to ride when things are going your way but that's that's why we focus a lot on you know making sure that you're winning the scoring chance battle you're not taking a lot of penalties you're giving your team the best opportunities because those shooting percentages are very they can fluctuate wildly like the the Vegas game last night they scored on every single breakaway and that's that's pretty much been the theme for their first month of the season whereas a team like Edmonton has been in the complete opposite position still a very uh, same amount of a high volume of scoring chances a lot of great looks. They just couldn't buy a goal in the first few weeks. I, I, I am more, I am more optimistic about Edmonton. I think than most uh, fans, especially local fans, right now. And uh, I, I think one of the big reasons why is the only thing is they, they just can't seem to buy a goal right now. It'll come. Right, and that's what you have to remember, right? Like it, it, it will come at some point. It's just for fans a matter of well, when is that, when is that going to happen? And, and Travis, we just don't have the crystal ball to answer that, right? <laughs> no, we don't. But I, I do think it's an important uh, point to make. Points in the bank matter, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, we, we could sit here and say, okay, yeah, Vegas won't shoot 12% the rest of the year, and Montreal and Edmonton won't shoot 4% the rest of the year. Oh, it's true. That's all fine and well, but here's, here's the reality. Vegas is 8-1 out of the gate. Montreal has, what, two wins? Like, you're going to start getting to a point. You know, with each incremental game, you start getting more and more to a point of, okay, even if and, – and, by the way, I think Montreal is a very – plagued team from top to bottom. So maybe they're not the best example. But the Edmonton Oilers, I think, are a much better team. So maybe Edmonton's a better example. So look at Edmonton and you say, okay, like we, we expect them to really bounce back. And, and I think most people do. But the reality is they're sitting, what, fifth, sixth in the division. They've got all of two wins to their name, too, two or three wins at most. And, it, look, at, at the end of the day, you're going to start running out of runway if, if your game doesn't really rebound pretty quickly. If we're, if we're still having the same conversation a month from now, the, the Oilers might be in a lot more trouble than we think. Right, and it's a terrific point there, Travis, because, yeah, it's, oh, this can't continue, but, yeah, the points in the bank matter, and I made the the comment last week, and I'll use it again here, the Columbus Blue Jackets went on that run, and it sustained them to be competitive and in the playoff race the whole season. Yeah, yeah, last year was incredible. They they played, I want to say, outside of that incredible winning streak last year, they pretty much played 500 hockey. Like, they were an average team. And they had one great streak, and that propelled them into the playoffs. And it was, it's actually interesting you bring up Columbus. In, in the hierarchy of teams that have been maybe the most impressive, and I haven't written about them yet, but I, I think that might be teed up for this week, I think the Blue Jackets have been awesome. Like In, in the hierarchy of the Eastern Conference, it's probably some blend of Tampa Bay, Toronto, Pittsburgh, and Columbus. And I, and I am ready to put Columbus in that mix. Yeah, well, there's, as of Saturday, 7-3-0. and Right now. Now, Travis, you wrote a, and in conversation with Travis Yost from TSN.ca on Twitter, at Travis Yost, um, you wrote an article on, on the Canadian teams when it looks at the production from their third and fourth lines from the bottom six. Now, as expected, I think, the top six forwards are where the majority of goals come from teams. But for the Canadian teams, the bottom six, take us through how they're doing. Uh, awful. Rancid, <laughs> I think is more in the article. Um, <laughs> Yes. So Toronto, Toronto's getting scoring from everywhere, so let's set them aside. They have issues on the defensive side, not the offensive side. And Vancouver has, had, has created an interesting situation where they've actually moved some of their really talented players, uh, maybe older players in the Sedin Twins, for example, really into bottom six roles at this point in their career. And so they're getting production. So let's put those two aside. If you go through the list, Ottawa, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, Montreal – 
their production from their bottom six forwards, I think at the time of the Article Tuesday, none of those teams had more than two five-on-five goals from from their bottom six. And I want to say Montreal and and uh, Montreal and Winnipeg, I don't believe, had a single goal five-on-five from their bottom six. Basically, top to bottom, it's pretty much a disaster. And it's funny, when I wrote the article, every fan base, you know, I had a bunch of Flames fans say, oh, yeah, mate, like I'm sure we, you know, we were the genesis of the article. And the, the Flames fans are actually right. I was noticing how poorly productive players like Sam Bennett, Curtis Lazar, and Troy Brower had been to start the year. But, like, Jets fans thought the same thing. It's like, oh, we must have been the reason why you wrote this article. And I'm like, no, you just – you guys just have all these interesting commonalities. You get no no scoring from anyone in your bottom six. It, it, just for some context here, like the the average bottom six forward will score about point five goals every sixty minutes. So if you give a if you give a bottom six forward one hundred and twenty minutes, he will score a goal. The the situation here is we are in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of accumulated minutes already for for each individual. You know, for the for the collective bottom six forwards in these markets. And again, we're talking about zero, one, or two goals from their entire bottom six, which is dreadful. Um, and again, for some context, Toronto has, I think, more than 10 goals now um, from their bottom six. So, it's yeah, it's, it's the depth is hurting them. They're not getting a lot of offense there. And each one of those teams that I mentioned, they have their own individual issues. But also on top of that, not a lot of scoring depth behind their big guns. Yeah, and that, that comes back to bite you, that depth. One more for you here, Travis. Ottawa Senators been scoring at a high rate. And, hey, like it or not, 5-1-5 and five as of Saturday, second place in the Atlantic, uh, lots of people saying, okay, hey, they're riding the, the, the hot goaltending of Craig Anderson, scoring at a high rate, but uh, people weren't quite sure if they were going to be able to carry over the success from last year's postseason run. It's been done so far. Where do you see the Senators faring over the rest of this season as they stand now? Yeah, Ottawa is a really interesting team. Um, they, they don't. There are many times during an Ottawa game where they just look bad. And then there are many times <laughs> in an Ottawa game where they look great. I don't know that you have such a spread of like observation for any other team in the league where on one shift you could be like, wow, they are terrible. And on the next shift you're like, oh, that's why they made it to the Easter Conference Final last year. <laughs> I, I, I just think that the one thing that numbers people, myself included, have discounted a bit um, on the Ottawa side, unfair to Ottawa, is their – they're big guns. They're top line. They're top six. And when they have the Eric Carlson pairing on the ice, they are truly one of the better teams in the league. And they they dominate in ways that only few teams can. Again, you know, back to the back to your second question though about like depth scoring and how it's such an issue. What's going to hurt Ottawa in the long run is the same thing that hurt them last year and the year before and the year before is that they don't really have like a second or third pairing or a third or fourth line that you can constantly throw out there and be like we're fine. Like, most of the time, it's, you know, hair raising on my arms time if I'm an (laughs) Ottawa fan watching that game and I'm either protecting a lead or chasing a game late. Like, you just don't have a lot of confidence in the bottom half of their roster. But, look, Ottawa's not the only team that has depth issues. Like, most of the teams in the league have some sort of depth issue. Their goaltending has been fine. They have, you know, two, three, four really accomplished forward scorers, and they have the best defensemen in the world. Like, that type of recipe is the same exact reason why Edmonton, who is another super top-heavy team, it's another reason why they'll be in the playoffs too. Like when you have one great line and if you can get a second good line behind them and you've got some goaltending and you have one good defensive pairing, you're going to be pretty tough to beat against the average NHL team. The, the, the question is, how do we take a playoff team and put them to a Stanley Cup contender? And the answer right. is almost always going to be depth. 
Yeah, taking that next step. And Travis, it's, it, that is it's such a, a good point you make because from a fan base, you're always, listen, if you're a fan, you always want you to build your team to be perfect, right? And that's just not going to happen. There's a lot of imperfect teams. So even if you're not, if you don't have the most complete team, it doesn't mean you can't be a playoff contender and actually go on a decent run because there are, most teams are not built like that. I, I, I would challenge anyone. Like, go, go watch the Stanley Cup final last year. You had Predators fans saying, well, we don't have that game-changing forward. And you got Penguins fans saying, like, we just really need one more good defenseman. And right. I'm like, you guys are in the Stanley you're Cup in the final. Stanley like, understand your problems. Are, you, you might be right. And both of those fan bases are right. But on a relative scale, like, you know, you've got that end of the spectrum, and then you go on the other end of the spectrum, and you look at Montreal, and it's like, we literally don't have a forward who can score 20 goals. Like, not the same exact issue, <laughs> um, but, but it issues for both teams nonetheless. Exactly. Uh, Travis, great stuff as always, man. Let's do it again next week. All right. Take care, man. All right. Travis Yost on Twitter, at Travis Yost. You can find all his articles on TSN.ca, and he posts them as well, at Travis Yost. We're going to take the break, come back on the other side with McKean's Hockey Director of Analytics and Pro Scouting and writer for Roto World and Maple Leafs Hot Stove. Gus Katseros joins me next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Here's Marner with speed in over the line on the right side, trying to drive the net. He goes around, back to the goal. It comes back to the blue line. A shot. Score! Welcome back, Roman Polak. It may have touched something on the way in, but his drive is the reason the Leafs are up one to nothing. Welcome back to the show. This is TSN Hockey Analytics, and I'm Andy McNamara. You're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto across the TSN radio network on Twitter at TSN Analytics. Myself at AndyMC81. You can also get us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and the TSN 1050.ca show page. Still to come in the show, talk about the Rochester Institute of Technology Hockey Analytics Conference, the RITHAC, with uh, Micah Blake McCurdy. From HockeyViz.com and also our own TSN.ca, Scott Collin, later in the show. First, though, let's welcome in McKean's Hockey Director of Analytics and Pro Scouting, as well as writer for Roto World and Maple Leafs Hot Stove, Gus Katsaros on the line. Gus, how's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. All right. You know what? Let's let's first, before we get too in-depth into anything else, break down your roles for me with Roto World and McKean's Hockey. Well, I've been with McKean's Hockey for about 11 years now, and they're a third-party scouting service. So my job was essentially to do the analysis on players um, that have been drafted. So uh, my focus was on the pros, while uh, some of the focus at McKean's Hockey is about um, draft-eligible players, and we put draft rankings together and, and, and follow them to the point where they're drafted. I took over after they got drafted to see where they are in terms of development. Are they working out? And, you know, skill sets change between junior and the NHL. So so taking stock and evaluating just where players are um, in their skill sets and will they actually be able to translate their junior success into professional hockey success. With Roto World, I, I, I've used the analysis and, and, and all the tools that I've gathered um, becoming, I guess, a better analyst over the years with McKean's Hockey, which translates really easy into fantasy. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to use real-world um, I guess, ideas in order to generate better fantasy analysis. 
Yeah, and that's that's so important. We know how popular fantasy sports are and fantasy hockey. So to have that real-world take and analysis and being able to translate that, very valuable. So that's uh, that's great you're able to do that with Roto World. Now, we look at your, your pinned tweet on your Twitter account, at Cats Hockey, and it says, the four S's of scouting. Take us through through those and how that, that helps you keeping that, that formula into doing your work. Well, the the one of the first tenets of, of scouting I was introduced to was um, to be able to evaluate a player, you need to be able to break down their specific skills. You do that in the form of four categories, and they call the four S's, so speed, smart, skills, and skating. Each of those S's has a subcategory. For instance, speed, um, to me, translates more about the speed of the game, pace, the ability to do so. However, somebody else might translate that into direct player speed, the ability to skate. Um, and But skating also is its own separate category. So there's a the overlap is where you're going to find some nuances. Hmm. Um, at the same time, while that's the base of how you would try to evaluate a player, it's not good enough to just say this player is a great skater, has good feet or good hands. There has to be some kind of an integration between skills. He's not a good scorer because he has great hands. He's a good scorer because he understands where to be in order to exploit that valuable tool that makes him or her, I guess, in this situation as well, a great scorer. So it's the integration of skills that is based on the four S's that I have in my pin tweet. And Gus, I think the smarts category would be the most interesting because, as you said, okay, skills, you can find a formula for that and, and, and see skating and speed to certain degrees. But how do you, how do you measure smarts? What does smarts look like? Hmm. So I, I think that this is one of those categories that I've refined a lot over the years. Okay. At first, you look at smarts and say, okay, this play happened. When this play happened, this player was in X position. Why was the result? Was it a good result? Did he, did he make a smart decision in order to, to fulfill what Y was supposed to be? So you're kind of looking at an after-the-fact to justify whether or not the play was correct. Um, you try to assess a player's mentality, or, or, and, and it's, it's something that is just not – you can't wrap a number around it. You can't really wrap a, a rating around it. It's just a – does the player understand or not? Now, over the course of these past few years, um, I've really gotten into a lot more systems integration. So smarts not only is about a player doing the right things on the ice, it's also about being, um, being able to perform within the structure of the coaching system. So if a player is making good decisions, if he's able to freelance out of his role for just a few minutes, but is able to understand that they need to bounce back and get into a specific position, that is an element of smarts. The other element is somewhat similar to what I was uh, pointing out before. A goal scorer is not a good goal scorer just because they have good hands or Mm. feet. They need to be smart enough to understand where to be in order to exploit their greatest talent. Right. Right. In conversation with Gus Katsaros, McKean's Hockey Director of Analytics and Pro Scouting as well, writer for Roto World and Maple Leafs Hot Stove on Twitter at Cats Hockey. Now, Gus, we mentioned the fantasy hockey a few minutes ago. So in dealing with, with analytics and fantasy evaluations, how much stock do analysts put into the newer statistics like expected goals, goal wins above replacement when it comes to the fantasy hockey side of things? Well, uh, goals and wins above replacement is a bit of a 
tricky point. Um, I feel that some of the newer statistics are things like PDO and on-ice save percentage versus individual save percentage, and the integration of a variety of different metrics can provide a fantastic window into what a player's ability is. Um, I think what you're looking at is overvalued or undervalued in terms of performance. You'll look at things like PDO or, or um, a really high individual shooting percentage when the team really isn't shooting that great while he's on the ice. So those elements provide context that really wasn't available in the past. You take things like wins and goals above replacement now, and that's, again, another element of overvaluing or overperforming versus underperforming, and you can kind of time to see where players are either in a slump and thinking, you know, maybe their numbers aren't exactly where they're supposed to be, but they're underperforming their metrics. If they're underperforming, there's still a possibility that they could regress upwards. Hmm. So you're looking at an overperformance or an underperformance, and you're trying to figure out whether that's over a short period of time, a week, a month, two months, half a season, or an entire season, or a variety of seasons so you can kind of essentially take those metrics and really blast them into a variety of different time frames to get a really good picture that wasn't available to anybody in the past i don't know three four years now they're really becoming in vogue gus uh, got we played the, the mitch marner clip coming off the top and his defensive game has been in question this season that's in part why we've seen him demoted to the leafs fourth line what have you noticed that's different about his game this season and in particular his speed on rushes is alleged defensive challenges in his own zone and uh, are they all that bad or is he just an easy target given his size and age you know it's actually pretty interesting because Mitch Marner is one of those players that was under like you can see him I should say that you saw him last year perform much better against much bigger opponents because mm-hmm. he has that method of using an opponent's ability against them for instance there's one play in particular i remember against shea weber where he tried to get in as close as possible to weber and force weber to make a pivot once he makes that pivot he is off balance that takes the advantage away from the bigger player with size and it takes their hitting capacity completely away in order for them to be able to balance on the ice and it brings the advantage to the younger smaller Uh, I shouldn't have said younger, but anyway, the smaller, more fleet, and the better skater. So using an opponent's perceived pluses against them is essentially what a good, smart player does. Hmm. So in Marner's situation, personally, like the NHL is sophisticated enough to be able to understand where and what players do. There was no video coming into into the professionals um, for Marner other than what he was doing with the London Knights. Last year was one of those wild card crazy years where the Leafs were just really unpredictable in the youth and the rookies that they were able to put on. Who knew what Matthews and Nylander and, and were capable of sol- uh, solely? And then you add Mitch Marner. This year what I feel is teams are really keyed in on the one element that made Marner very successful last year, the rushing prior to getting into the zone. And the speed and the ability to get there and the chaos that it invoked once they got into the offensive zone was a plus that Marner would use to not only make himself better and and exploit his own skill set, but he made the players that he was playing around him much better too. While everybody was trying to scramble back into the chaos, Tyler Bozak and uh, James Van Riemsdyk were just ready to get a good pass, a solid feed. Make sure that you're ready to do whatever Marner is getting ready to, uh, to set up and you're all going to have success. This year, the play is usually stopped before he enters the zone. There's not as much room. He's passing it off more. 
there's less individualism. And while I feel individualism is a negative trait for his specific skill set, it was a distinct positive that's not there right now. Well, and that's all about development in the league. When players get figured out, the great ones overcome it. And we'll have to see how Mitch Marner develops uh, throughout this season and, and going forward. Uh, Gus, never enough time. I'd love to have you on again later in the season. Thank you so much. Anytime, guys. Thanks very much for having me on. All right, Gus Ketseros. He is McKean's hockey director and analytics of pro scouting, as well as writer for Roto World and Maple Leafs Hot Stove on Twitter, at Cats Hockey. Let's take the break and then get an update. What happened in Rochester last weekend at the Hockey Analytics Conference? Micah Blake McCurdy of HockeyViz.com joins me, TSN.ca Scott Collin, a little bit later on. A lot more coming up here on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. They're missing out on something special. The final five seconds. The Golden Knights over the last three and a half weeks have really tried to bring some smiles to this shaken city. And they're 8-1 now over nine games as they wrap up a 6-1 homestand. They blow out Colorado 7-0 at T-Mobile. Welcome back to the show. This is TSN Hockey Analytics, and I'm Andy McNamara. You're listening, of course, on TSN 1050 Toronto across the TSN radio network. You can get us on TSN 1050.ca, the show page section there. If you missed any of the show, subscribe and rate us on iTunes and SoundCloud also, on Twitter, at TSN Analytics, and myself, at AndyMC81. So, last week, Rochester had a hockey analytics conference, the R-I-T-H-A-C. It's a mouthful, but a lot going on there. Friend of show, Micah Blake McCurdy from HockeyViz.com on Twitter at IneffectiveMath on the line. Micah, how's it going, buddy? I'm well. How are you doing? Doing well, man. So, tell us, how, how was the, the conference? It was excellent. It was, uh, you know, conferences can be, can be hit or miss. And, uh, and an organization can be tricky, but this was uh, Ryan and Matt Hoffman knocked it out of the park for organization. All of the speakers were good, and some were excellent. So it was, you know, even the food was good. Very oh. hard to complain in any way. Uh, the, the food can make or break a conference. I, I, will, I will attest to that, absolutely. So now you speak of good to great presenters. Uh, I've heard you speak. I'll consider you one of the great ones. What did you present at the conference? Uh, I'll be happy with just okay myself. Um, I, I presented some, some my most recent predictive model. I make a new model for predicting single hockey games that I use to simulate seasons every summer. And my new one is, is very unusual, and so I decided to talk about it this year. It works by simulations where you try to simulate exactly what's going to, or not exactly, but many times of what's going to happen inside a hockey game instead of just looking at statistics. Hmm. And what were some of the other presentations that you really enjoyed or, or thoughts that were, were innovative or, or groundbreaking and some takeaways from the whole thing? There were two that were really good that I thought were sort of absolutely class above. Um, one was Namita Nandakumar, who was talking about uh, time to play in the NHL after you're drafted. And that was more kind of off-ice analytics, establishing understanding of you know what is a reasonable timeline for for a prospect especially for a prospect of this quality or that quality in terms of what they're going to give you once they make the nhl and uh and also some unusual things like third round picks if you go first in the third round you're much less likely to make the nhl than if you go last in the second round which is a little bit unusual hmm. and so there were lots of fun tidbits there uh, i also really liked alex novet who talked about um um, about transitions, looking at microstats. This is how you get out of your own zone. This is how you get into the offensive zone. This is how you connect the two together. 
you know, these are the kinds of strategies that work. These are the ones that don't work. And he was looking entirely with hand track data, which is much more difficult, but, but there's a lot more interesting stuff there because it's new. And, Michael, what are some of the, the new statistics that are being presented that are now given a, a lot more credence, like shot assists, zone exits, entries, et cetera, things like that? Because some of the latest findings in the analytics community, as always, it's, it's always changing, always developing. Yeah, I think a lot of the interesting stuff is coming out of tracking projects that are taking data that the league is not taking, or hmm. if they are taking, they're not providing to the public. So uh, it was fitting that Ryan Stimson, who organized the conference, he's he's been uh, a champion of, of a project that's been looking at passing assist data. And uh, Corey Schneider, who also wasn't there, but whose work came up repeatedly, has been championing some tracking projects. And Alex has been using some of the work from both of those projects and a number of other presenters, too. The so that kind of getting into extra data, that's what lets you connect analytics in the kind of traditional, you know, I just scraped some game data and then I did some statistics to it, to something that you can actually take to a coach and say, you know, this is, this is why this strategy is good. This is why that strategy is bad. And, and being able to connect that in a way that would make a coach understand and say, okay, this hmm. is what we're going to do going forward. Mike, that's really the whole, the whole point, I think, of what the analytics community wants to get to, so that it's not just information being spouted at, at old-school hockey guys who kind of look at you like you're nuts, but but how it can be used, what it means to the games that people are watching, and being able to uh, really correlate that together. Like, I think that's that the analytics community as a whole has been doing a great job over the last four years of really being able to do that. Yeah, and, and it depends on, you know, the, even the, the diversity of, of thought in analytics, it mm-hmm. depends on who you're talking to. Sure. Like Alex's work that I was mentioning, that's very coach-centric. The, whereas Namita's work that I mentioned before that is very GM-centric, is very front-office-centric. You know, this is how we ought to think about this. And so it depends a lot on who you're talking to. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're seeing now is we're seeing not so much a groundbreaking, you know, here's something totally new, but instead we're seeing you know, this is how we can take something that we've already understood and, and connect it with what other people need to do their jobs. Right, and making it more applicable. In conversation with Micah Blake McCurdy from HockeyViz.com on Twitter at Ineffective Math. Mike, is there a stat, like let's say zone starts, that have started to be debunked considering how many shifts start on the fly or shot quality stats, like expected goals that, that factor in on shot quality? Is there anything that, that has been, that we used to look at more prominently that, that might be going away a little bit? Uh, I think so. There's a sort of constant churn here because people are at different levels of, of sophistication and different levels of interest, too, which matters. Mm. So we're still, in some sense, we're still fighting the old battles. You know, people are still putting gold against average up for goaltenders up on up on TV screens. Mm-hmm. But I think I think save percentage, for instance, just plain raw save percentage, is uh, is definitely one of those things which is gonna you're gonna see a lot less and less as people start to start to adjust for shot difficulty. You know, that matters for all kinds of prediction, but it matters a lot for goaltenders. Where you see a goalie in Arizona is not just seeing more shots, he's seeing harder shots than a goalie in, I don't know, say, San Jose. And last one for you here, Mike. Let's look at the Pacific Division right now with the Golden Knights, Canucks, Flames, and Kings having solid starts. How do you and your models predict that division panning out for the rest of the season? So that, that division is unusually interesting to yeah. me. And and the Vegas Golden Knights are by far the thing that make it really really fun. You know they were I expected they were going to be bad. Personally, my model expected they were going to be bad. They've been they've been playing out of their skin. Is part of what makes it fun is that they've they've been getting almost at five on five. They have the league's best goaltending results so wow. far this year, which is just you know only Chicago and St. Louis are even close. It's ridiculous, and the way that they've actually been playing between the blue lines uh, isn't close to as good as that. 
So there's going to be a nasty, I hate to say it because I adore them as, a, as an expansion franchise, but there's going to be a nasty reckoning there. Well, um, you'd think so, right? Like, it has to come back to Earth at some point. And, I mean, hockey is just completely full of teams who thought that whatever they were doing when they happened to get on a hot run had to be clearly right, and they believe exactly what they're telling all their players, and they start to, you know, the skepticism drops away real fast, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get yourself into holes where you start making short-sighted decisions. Yeah, and, and the the task then for front offices and coaches and all that becomes, all right, are you willing to accept that what you saw at the start might have been a mirage and isn't sustainable and make adjustments? We've seen some teams who kept on that same path early, a few years ago. It was Colorado, right? They, they surprised everybody, and we found out it wasn't sustainable. So it's about making those adjustments too. I, I think there might be some chance that you will see the kind of adjustments that, that are needed here because – I mean, Vegas's success is so clearly predicated largely on their goaltending. Um, and you could say, you know, Flurry has always been an okay, at least, goaltender, and maybe he's found a good spot for himself. But, of course, he's not even playing now. They're down to their third stringers already. Right. So, so you know, statistically unsustainable is one thing. But also, you know, the people who did those things for you, even if they could sustain them, they're not playing. Right. Yeah, if they're not there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Micah, thank you so much. Let's uh, touch base again later in the season. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. Micah Blake McCurdy. From HockeyViz.com, a must-follow at Ineffective Math. We will take the break and come back with some heroes and zeros and his take on the Rochester Hockey Analytics Conference. It's TSN.ca Scott Cullen after the commercial break here on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Left side for Hutton, again to Besser, right point, wrist shot through traffic, stopped by Holpe, rebound, and brother score! What a play by Sven Berchief, as he picked up the puck off the rebound, played it between his own legs to Bo Horvat in front, who buries it, and the Canucks get a power play goal to go ahead 2-0. Back to wrap up, another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics here on TSN 1050 Toronto and across the TSN radio network, I'm Andy McNamara. Get us on Twitter, at TSN Analytics, at AndyMC81. You missed any of the show, no worries. We got you. You can go to iTunes, subscribe and rate us there. SoundCloud as well as the TSN1050.ca show page. So you can catch us in a whole bunch of different areas. And on the line now, in his usual spot, TSN.ca's Scott Collins. Scotty, welcome back from beautiful Rochester. How's it going, bud? <laughs> it's good, Andy. Uh I, I came back to a beautiful rainy day in Toronto, so yes. uh, no, not exactly looking up here, but uh, all in all, we're pretty good. Well, you know what? We, we talked with uh, Micah Blake McCurdy in the previous segment about his takeaways on the uh, conference there in Rochester. What were some of your, your takeaways, some interesting things you, you learned, found out, or, or whatever on the weekend? Well, there were a couple, and, and Micah's um, presentation was a good one. My, I mean, he uh, he works on building models, mm-hmm. right, to, to do predicting of games and seasons and so on. And that's something I've I've uh, done myself for quite a long time. So hearing how he um, kind of formats his models and sets them up, I, like that, that was fascinating to me. Maybe more so to me than than the population in general. I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, uh, at the same time, I, I thought you know Matt Kane was there, and Matt has sort of become. Uh, the go-to guy for projecting contract values. And um, just, you know, over time, he's learned kind of what things to input um, 
to assess player value on contracts and, and, and not so much in, um, okay, what should this player get, but what the market is going to pay a player who has these uh characteristics and and so you know and that we we use matic pretty sure at the free agent frenzy this year on, on tsn so um you know he, he sort of established himself as, as the leader in that space and so he had some really neat stuff there uh namita nanda kumar um does some great stuff on on prospect timelines where in the probably the the biggest takeaway i, I got from it was that um when when you're looking at the time between when a prospect makes it or is drafted and makes it to the NHL, uh, a lot of times forwards you know get there quickly. Like you'll have guys the year after they're drafted, they make the jump to the NHL, and that's that's not completely uncommon for the top level players. Uh, when it comes to uh, defensemen, you know we have this this story that we're told that oh it takes defensemen so much longer, and 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 so no one really places an expectation. Uh, what Namita basically showed is that within a year that there the difference between uh, forwards and defensemen has basically evened out so that you know maybe you don't have defensemen jumping to the NHL at 18 but at 19 you know there are as many there as, as there are forwards and, and so you know when, when we kind of have this thought in our heads of well it takes defensemen they have to be 23 24 before they're uh, ready to play um, that's that's not quite the case and and then in kind of talking Oh, do, Scotty, are you there? Nope. Yeah. Oh, there you go. You cut out just for a second. Okay. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, when, when I talked to Namit about it, our suspicion wasn't that defensemen aren't ready to play uh, before 19. It's more a case of uh, coaches. You know, you're you're not as willing to put the 18-year-old defenseman out there and, and live with the mistakes that you get. You know, you can put okay. an 18-year-old out on the wing and, and, okay, if he turns the puck over a few times, you've got other, um, you know, players to cover for him. When you you know do it on on defense and and if this eighteen year old makes some mistakes, well those could end up in the back of the net a little more easily and and so that that's sort of where um, we figured the difference comes from in, in terms of how coaches and, and organizations in general uh, move their prospects in, into the NHL. Okay, Scotty, that was uh, a. a... Interesting breakdown of the conference, but let's get to everybody. They, listen, the, the, Sky, this is what everyone is, is coming for, right? This is what they're coming it's for. It's time for the best and worst of the NHL this week. Hockey analytics, heroes and zeros with Scott Cohen and Andy McNamara. The headbanging guitar head rift. God love it. Scotty, this is, this is the sizzle on the steak, baby. So yeah. let's, let's begin the heroes. Will you start with your first hero, a 24-year-old centerman from the Philadelphia Flyers? That's right, Sean Couturier. Uh, 12 points in 10 games to start the year, but he has been thrust into a completely different role with the Flyers. Um, you know, for good portions of his uh, career to this point, he's been a shutdown center and, and, and actually done quite well at it. Um, but hasn't been asked to provide a whole lot of offense. He's topped out at 39 points in a season. He's done that twice, uh, and he did it once in 63 games. So, you know, there is some offensive upside. But this year, uh, they've they've plugged him in between uh, Claude Giroux and Jakub Voracek on on Philadelphia's top line, uh, and they're getting results. Um, you know, the, uh, getting 12 points in 10 games, including seven goals out of Couturier. Uh, he's got 53% possession over that time. Um, 
this is kind of a, a, an ideal fit for him. It, there were some questions about, really, I think about Claude Giroux more than anyone uh, among the Flyers' top players is that maybe there's some uh, dip in his play. And I think the Flyers thought if they, if they shift him out to the wing where he can still be creative and, and do some things offensively, uh, Couturier is this uber-responsible two-way center who can um, kind of get the puck to, uh, to Giroux and Voracek and, and they can make some things happen. And, and so far, it's worked really well. And we look at, for your second hero, Alex Pietrangelo. Yeah, Alex Pietrangelo is, is an interesting case uh, in that when uh, St. Louis traded Kevin Shattenkirk uh, last year, Pietrangelo really stepped up his offensive game. Um, and, and so he's, he's off to a great start this year, 12 points in 11 games. But if you go back uh, to the trade deadline last year, he has 29 points in his past 30 games. So he's really become an offensive contributor um, uh, for the Blues. And, and in addition to that... It, he's really uh, increased his shot volume. Uh, you know, last year he was taking about 2.3 per game, which is fine. I mean, ranks pretty well among defensemen at that rate. But this year he's up to 3.6 per game through the first hmm. 11 games. Like, that's a massive increase uh, in terms of um, number of shots on goal. And so, you know, I, I think Alex, Alex Petrangelo, uh, you know, he has this great reputation in Canada. He plays on the Olympic team, plays on the World Cup teams. And, and so – but he hasn't really been a huge point producer. He's, he's top 50 points once in his career. Um, now, the other sort of factor here with, with Pietrangelo, if, if the offense is picking up, is that his, his possession numbers have always been kind of okay. Um, you know, never great, never terrible. Um, but for a guy who is an automatic to play for Team Canada, um, you might expect them to be a little bit better. And, and this year is, is somewhat the same. His, his possession numbers aren't great. Uh, but it's kind of overshadowed by the fact he, he's turning into an offensive force. Right, taking advantage of the opportunities given to him. So uh, those were the best. Now to the worst of the week here, Scotty. The great Chris Letang not impressing you right now. Well, he's off to a bit of a tough start, and it's not so much in terms of point production, uh, but he, he's been on the ice for 16 goals against in 11, in 11 games, and that's just in five-on-five situations. Oh. Like, that leads the league. Um, and he's only been on for five goals for. So it's been kind of lopsided in terms of the results uh, with Chris Letang on the ice. Now, look, he, he's missed a bunch of time at the end of last season and, in, and through the playoffs and, um, and has had, quite frankly, a, an injury-marred uh, career, we could say. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, coming back from last season's injury, you know, maybe it's just taking him some time to get up to speed. But uh, the early returns are, are not exactly ideal. Fortunately for Letang, the Penguins have been – uh, have been good enough to overcome uh, his early results. Yeah, to give him some time to get back on track. And a Coyotes defenseman wraps up your zeros. Yes, Nicholas Chalmerson. Um, I'm sure Nicholas Chalmerson uh, didn't love the idea of going to Arizona, even if even if it meant playing with Oliver Ekman Larson, um, just because he, he was pretty comfortable as the shutdown guy in Chicago, mm-hmm. and, and he was effective in that role. Um, so far, not not so effective in Arizona. Um, his, his course, he's under 43%. Uh, has been on for 10 goals against in 10 games. Um, and, you know, obviously we're all aware of Arizona's struggles uh, overall. Now, the goals against, is, I'm sure this isn't all on Chalmerson. Arizona's goaltending has been the worst in the league uh, through 10 games. Um, but uh, I think given what we've seen from Nicholas Chalmerson and Stanley Cup runs in Chicago, um, you know, seeing this rough start for a team that is going nowhere uh, is probably not what he was hoping uh, would happen this season. 
Scotty, I will, will save your the surprising Canucks statistically speeding article for next week. I want to touch on that. Producer <laughs> we'll Grady Sassy. surprising Sass- they are. Yeah, and uh, producer Grady Sassy is a Canucks uh, fan, so he's uh, he said, you have to get this in. So we'll, we'll go to that next week. We'll see yeah, how surprising they are the rest of the week. But great stuff as always, Scotty. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Andy. Okay, Scott Cullen on Twitter, at TSN. Scott Cullen, find all his great work at TSN. .ca. Okay, another show in the books, folks. Again, if you missed any of TSN Hockey Analytics, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, the TSN1050.ca show page on Twitter. We post all the links at TSN Analytics and at AndyMC81. So thank you to all our guests. For producer Grady Sass, I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 and the TSN Radio Network.